an unsettled young man settles himself in to his leather chair. The sun cascades through the window, warms his toes, which are settled onto the lush carpet. He takes a deep breath. And he readies himself to pray. His plan is simple. He will ask God to show him what he should do next with his day. Then, he'll open his Bible randomly, select a random verse on the page, and read it. And the verse will reveal to him what God's will is for him. And so he prays, Lord, show me your will for my life. And he opens, Jeremiah 13.4, Take the underwear that you have bought and are wearing, and go at once to the Euphrates, and hide them in a rocky crevice. It wasn't exactly what he was looking for. So he gives it another shot. Isaiah chapter 20 and verse 2. Go and loose the sackcloth from your waist and take off your sandals from your feet. He wasn't keen on streaking at this time of day, and so he figured, you know, another flip is required. Leviticus 26 and verse 29. You will eat the flesh of your sons, You will eat the flesh of your daughters. That can't be it, he thought to himself. One more try, but this time, you know, it won't be so random. We'll make sure it's in the the New Testament. Acts 10, verse 13. Rise, kill, and eat. Finally, he thought, I should eat something. It's about time for second breakfast. And so he went on about his day. A ridiculous way to try and discern God's will, is it not? And yet how many of us have taken this sort of magic eight ball approach to our lives? You know, uh, laid out fleece, expecting God to, to kind of write in the clouds what we ought to do next. Praying, God, what is your will for me? Well, we come this morning to a text that addresses that issue in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 15 through 17. And in this text, we are called to understand what God's will is. And so we're going to try to ask those questions. What does that mean? What is God's will? And how can I be sure that I understand it? The main point of the sermon this morning is the main point of the text. You can see it there in verse 17. It's Paul's conclusion. He says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I want to exhort you this morning to walk wisely. Your outline is there before you. Let's pray and we'll begin. Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. By it, we come to hear and believe as your Spirit works in our hearts. 
And we come this morning asking that you would help us to know you a little bit more. Perhaps to know you for the first time. And we confess that when we have trouble understanding your ways, it's, it's not because your word is unclear, but because our hearts are foggy and our eyes blurry. And so we pray that you would give us sight this morning. That you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we might have the strength to comprehend together with all the saints what is the height and depth and breadth of the love you have for your people. So that we might comprehend all that it is you have for us in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 15. Look, or watch, carefully, then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. It's really fun there at verse 15. It connects back to the section which came previously. You remember from last week, Paul's talking about exposing the deeds of darkness and correcting our brothers and sisters in Christ so that those who were kind of sleepwalking in sin would be shaken awake. And so he's saying, watch out. Watch how you walk. Make sure that you are walking according to the way of God. According to the way of wisdom. Not in deeds of darkness. It really is a simple kind of illustration, is it not? Be careful how you walk. Maybe we're familiar with it and so we just dismiss it and we don't really think about it right from the jump, but if you are a parent or you've been around kids, you've probably had the experience. You know, late at night, uh, room is kind of dimly lit, and you are getting ready to navigate your way across a, a living room or a bedroom, and, and you're not really dependent on what you see. You're just going to use that cognitive mapping that your brain just does, right? You know where things are, you know where to step. And so uh, you, you begin to take your journey through the dark when all of a sudden, there is a searing pain that radiates from the sole of your foot to the top of your head, and you realize all at once you have stepped on a Lego. You were not being careful about where you were walking. Really, a simple illustration. Paul wants us to be careful, full of care, about how we live, and where we walk. And so, that is a call to be wise. We are to be wise in the way that we walk. And this, is, this is not the first time Paul has kind of given us a contrast, right? He's saying, walk in the way of wisdom, not in the way of folly. And we've seen this before. There's the way of the wise, there's the way of the fool, but also throughout Ephesians, he's given us contrasts. He's worked with them. And so uh, we are not to be children of wrath any longer, right? We are, we are now children of God. We are no longer dead. We're now alive in Christ. We're no longer the, the old man, which we are to put off. We are to put on the new man. And last week it was, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. If you weren't here last week, I think it's really important to recognize there in verse 8 of chapter 5, 
Paul is not saying you were in darkness and now you are in the light. He is saying you were darkness and now you are light. And now he's moved on to this contrast between the wise and the foolish. And the point is once more to draw out that what we do flows from what we are. And that's really the the whole message of the book of Ephesians. What we do flows from what we are. Paul, Paul wants us to know we've been given, we who are in Christ, have been given a new identity in Christ. And now we are going to live in such a way that is in concert with that. Our actions are going to match our identity. And so we've broken Ephesians apart into two halves. Chapters 1 through 3, doctrine, and chapters 4 through 7, devotion. The doctrine is is that we cannot do anything to make ourselves right with God. That if we have peace with God and with His people, it is by His grace, by His sovereign working in our lives. Wonderful passage in Ephesians 1 tells us that God has loved us before we were born and chose us to be adopted into His family. And that He adopts all who believe in Jesus. Really is wonderful. A change in identity. And then in the second part of Ephesians, chapters 4-7, through he calls us to devotion. And so you can tell we are adopted into a new family and now we're to live up to the family name. We've been born again and now we are to learn to walk in the way of love as our elder brother Jesus, imitating God our Father. We have been made new, and so now we are to walk in the newness of life. And so it's really important when we come to these commands, as I've reminded you the last few weeks, that we are not being given a roadmap about how to become a Christian. It's not like you become a really good person and then you're right with God. And what we're looking at is the description of, of the fruit of someone who is a Christian. You become a Christian by receiving the grace of God and putting your faith in Jesus Christ, submitting your life to Him. And then you'll bear the fruit of that change. A tree is known by its fruit. And so Paul is calling us here to live in a way that is consistent with the fruit of the light, the fruit of Righteousness. We, we are to be careful how we walk, ensuring that we do that which is good and right and true. Now, when we think of this contrast between the wise and the unwise, we immediately think of the two ways of living which are outlined for us in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1 reads this way, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. You have the righteous and the wicked, the wise and the unwise. This theme is picked up in Proverbs. We see it throughout, but just one verse should do. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 23. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Once more, this motif is picked up on by Jesus as he concludes his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. He says it this way, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came 
The winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You see, a fool is defined by living without reference to God, God's word, or God's will. Psalm 14.1 says to us that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. And so what does it mean to live as a fool? Well, it means to live out of step with the reality of the God who is there. It means to live according to my will and my way and my rules rather than the rules of God. It's to function as my own king rather than submitting to Christ, the one true king. The fool lives his or her life not in light of eternity and in light of what pleases God, but with sort of a, uh, a YOLO mentality. I don't know if anyone says that anymore. It was cool a few years ago, uh, and so it's gotten to me, so it must not be cool anymore. But maybe you've heard YOLO, and it means you only live once. And it's kind of this justification for, for doing whatever you want in the moment. And this is how the fool lives. The fool only considers themselves and their immediate desires, this life, without any real long-term thinking about what comes after. The fool has not considered the God who is there the reality of the evil days in which we live, or anticipated the coming of the judgment of God. That's what Paul's getting at in verse 16. So look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so you can see the action there in verse 15, how these propositions relate. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise or as wise. That's the action. Walk wisely in the manner in which you are to carry out this walking or this living is by making the best use of your time. Why? Here's the grounding. Because the days are evil. And so you see, the fool doesn't make the best use of his or her time. The fool goes along with every wave of culture. is carried about by every wind of popular opinion. Uh, The fool lives in the evil days according to the ways of the world, walking in darkness, never anticipating the day of judgment, never acknowledging the God of the cosmos. Jesus tells a story of such a fool in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. 
I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The farmer is foolish not because his business is booming or because of his desire to expand his wealth. The farmer is foolish because he lives without any reference to God, without any anticipation of the judgment that is to come. In his mind, there is no God, no judgment. There's only the moment, and so uh, yalo. Eat, drink, and be merry. Friends, we ought to live as those who know the days are evil and know that there is a judgment coming in response to those evil days. We should recognize that each tick-tock of the clock brings us closer to the terrifying judgment of God. We should understand time as a, a very precious commodity. When we hear that, that tick-tock, we should maybe have like a, like a Captain Hook-like response to it. Right? Isn't that what the whole thing is? There's like the ticking and the talking and there's like an alligator. And so he considers his life, the whole thing. Likewise, we want to be people who are considering our lives and considering our use of time. Making sure that we are honoring God, not just for an hour on Sunday morning, but for each hour on Wednesday night and each minute on Friday afternoon. We are to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our time. Recognizing that time is short and that judgment is coming. Brothers and sisters, do you realize this might be the last sermon you ever hear? Listen well. You realize that next conversation you have with that, that neighbor or loved one who doesn't know the Lord could be the last one. Your last opportunity to share Christ or to invite them to church. Steward that opportunity well. You realize that, that tonight might be your, your last Sunday night to relax with your family. You know, play cards or go fish or, or watch a movie. Make the most of that time. Honor the Lord Jesus with it. Don't dishonor Him. Do not live as the unwise fool. Because every person will have their soul demanded of them. 
You will die. Every person will die. Every person will stand before the terrifying judgment seat of Christ. And every person will be condemned to everlasting torment. Every person, that is, except for those upon whom God has set His great love. Every person except those who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Every person will be rightly punished under the just wrath of God with the exception of those who are united to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Those who trust Christ will not get the curse they deserve, but the blessing that Jesus deserves. Because Jesus took what they deserved, wrath of God, on the cross. Non-Christian, I implore you this morning to trust God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son. Know the God you were made for. Don't live as a fool. Become wise unto salvation and follow Jesus. Christian, are you making the best use of your time? Again, I'm not you know, legislating here against leisure time. I think it's good. But there is a such thing as time well wasted. We should plan for it and enjoy it. But say, we're... Where are you wasting your time? Where are you frittering your life away? What what time are you using in a way that is dishonoring to God? How do you need to change how you're spending your time? We ought to be those who are as Jonathan Edwards was at the age of 19 when he wrote his 70th resolution quite famously. This is what he said, 19. Resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. We want to be those who are redeeming the time that we have been given, using it to the glory of God. We want to walk wisely. Therefore, if we are to walk wisely, Paul concludes in verse 17, We won't be foolish when we're walking wisely, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What does that mean to understand the will of the Lord? How do we do it? Well, I think first thing is first, the foundational piece here is anything we know about God or His Word or His will is illumined or given to us by the work of His Holy Spirit, communicated through His Word. That was a lot. It's the Spirit that enables us to understand spiritual things. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, they cannot be understood by the natural man. And I think secondly, the Spirit works through these very ordinary resources to help us understand what God's will is. They are the Word, prayer, 
and the church. And we'll come back to those in a second. But before we, we move on, I think it's important to kind of explain what it is we are talking about exactly when we're talking about the will of God. And I, I think it's really helpful. Kevin DeYoung's written a short book, which I'm going to hold up for you. Those of you, it's called Just Do Something. It's very short. It can be read, read in the afternoon. It's called Just Do Something, a brilliant subtitle, or How to Make a Decision Without Dreams, Visions, Fleeces, Impressions, Open Doors, Random Bible Verses, Casting Lots, Liver Shivers, Writing in the Sky, etc. And in this book, he lays out three categories for understanding God's will as it's communicated to us in the Bible and for how we talk about it. So the first, I'll give you all three and then we'll walk through them. The first is God's will of decree. The second is God's will of desire. And the third is God's will of direction. God's will of decree refers to what God has ordained. Everything that comes to pass, comes to pass according to God's sovereign decree. And all that he decrees will ultimately come to pass. God gets what he wants. What God wills to happen, will happen. He micromanages every molecule in the universe. Not an insect is squashed apart from his rule. He's numbered the hairs on our heads, or lack thereof. Not a bird falls to the ground apart from his rule. This has been really prominently featured throughout the Bible, but, but prominently here in the first half of Ephesians, and I think particularly in verse 11 of chapter 1, where we read, In him, that's Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, that's God the Father, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so you'll notice the verse doesn't tell us that God works some things according to the counsel of his will, or most things according to the counsel of his will, but all things according to the counsel of his will. The decree of God, the will of God's decree, gets done. On to God's will of desire. God's will of desire refers to what God has commanded, what he desires from his creatures. De Young writes, if the will of decree is how things are, God's will of desire is how things ought to be. While God's will of decree cannot be undone, his will of desire can be disregarded. So uh, think uh, Ten Commandments. Right? God gives us Ten Commandments. This is the way we ought to live. And we are able to disregard those commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. We're able to not honor our father and mother. Lastly, we come to God's will of direction. And this is typically what most people are talking about when they want to know God's will for, for my life, right? Should I take that job or this job? Should I go to this college or that college? Should I get married? Uh, should I uh, retire in November or in the spring? Right? These kind of decisions. And DeYoung is helpful here also, and so I'm going to quote him again. He says this, Here is the heart of the matter. Does God have a secret will of direction that he expects us to figure out before we do anything? And that answer is no. 
Yes, God has a specific plan for our lives. And yes, we can be assured that he works all things together for our good in Christ Jesus. Yes, looking back, we will often be able to trace God's hand in bringing us to where we are. But while we are free to ask God for wisdom, he does not burden us with the task of divining his will of direction for our lives ahead of time. I'm not saying God isn't directing your path and in control amidst the chaos of your life. I believe in the providence of God with all my heart. What I am saying is that we should stop thinking of God's will like a corn maze, or a tightrope, or a bullseye, or a choose-your-own-adventure novel. And what he's getting at there is, yes, God has a plan for your life, but no, you can't have all the details of it right now. It doesn't work that way. So, so, so in sum... The Bible talks about God's will in two primary ways. His his will of decree, which is everything that that gets done. His master plan for the universe. Some of which has been revealed to us in his word. Other parts of it are hidden from us. The second is God's will of desire. That way that we should live lives that honor God. So where does that leave us with the will of direction? The Bible doesn't typically talk about God's will of direction, but that's how we talk about it, right? So how, how do we discern what God wants for our lives? Which, which will are we responsible for understanding as Paul commands us to here? So I think the answer is those first two. But we should understand God's grand plan, big picture idea for the universe. We should understand that he has created the cosmos and ordered it in such a way as to bring himself glory. We should understand that he had a plan to reconcile to himself rebellious sinners. We should understand that he has promised and plans to redeem the earth and turn it into heaven when Christ returns At the end of the age, we should know those things about his will of decree. They've been revealed to us in his word. We should also know and understand his will of desire. How he wants us to live lives that honor him. That's what we're responsible for understanding. And so we get to that will of direction. We go, okay, so so now, how do I understand, in light of those two truths about God's will, how do I understand what I should do? I think the answer is actually, actually quite simple. Understanding the first two things means that we are free to obey God's word and then go in a direction that is faithful. What do I mean? Uh, so I got married to Chelsea against all practical wisdom. Uh, we, we got married inside of six months of knowing each other. We didn't even really like each other that much, but we both loved the Lord Jesus Christ. We like each other more now, I think. I like her more. I don't know if she likes me more. But but it wasn't like I was driving down the road and, you know, my, my phone went off and it was a text message from God. Marry this girl. No, no, no. I, I considered, you know, I know God's big plan for the universe. I, I know how God wants us to live. Marriage is a good thing in the Bible. She loves Jesus. I love Jesus. That means we can... We can get married as long as we're committed to stay married. And so we, we decided together, this is, what, this is a direction that, that we're going to go in. We're free to go in a direction that is faithful. 
we're to think about the choices before us in light of God's Word and then make decisions. Or in DeYoung's words, by the title of his book, just do something. Right? So if you've got a college choice before you, like Virginia or Virginia Tech, and you're just, man, I'm on the fence, I'm into both places, I don't know what will be best for me, and you go, you know what, uh, I like the hokey bird a whole lot better than whatever who is. And so I'm going to Virginia Tech. Right on. Be faithful. You're free to obey God's word in that direction. Let me try to, try to show you how these, these things work together in Paul's life. And then, and, but before I do that, let me bring up those, remember those three resources we talked about of the Holy Spirit for discerning God's will, how to make a good decision about the will of direction? So we've got the Holy Spirit, and He is empowering God's Word, and so we want to study God's Word. Because God's Word is the foundation of wisdom. Wisdom comes from the mouth of God. Proverbs 2 and verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your ear to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. So God has given us His Word. He's also given us prayer. God speaks to us in His Word. You want to hear God speak, you read your Bible out loud. God speaks in His Word, and we speak to God in prayer. And in prayer, we submit our will and our hearts to God's heart. Prayer, interestingly, doesn't always take place, even primarily take place, in the context of solitude. Often in the Bible, when we see prayer, we see people praying together. It's a community project a lot of the time. Which brings us to that third resource, the church. God has given us the church to help us understand what His Word says. A really good example of this is creeds which have endured for centuries. Right? You think of the Apostles' Creed, these things which bind us together and identify us as Christians. Church helps us to understand what God's word says, his will of decree, his will of desire. It helps us. I love, I have one friend who says, the church helps us to stay Christian. I like that. We gather together weekly to encourage one another on towards good deeds and love and to remind one another of the gospel that we have believed. We help one another to follow Jesus. And so we'll see these three resources together, I hope, uh, along with those kind of three aspects of God's will uh, in this short illustration from the life of Paul. Now, you could, you could draw all these threads together from various parts of Scripture. Uh, actually, the council uh, uh, in Jerusalem, council, Jerusalem Council, that's what it's called, there it is. The Jerusalem Council, which happens uh, in Acts 15, would be a great example. But I'm going to take an example that's shorter uh, from Paul's life in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 and I'm going to start reading with verse 6. Acts chapter 16 and verse 6. 
Paul and Silas and Timothy and eventually Luke are on a missionary journey together. And this is what we read, verse 6, chapter 16. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. This would have been pretty frustrating, right? They've been, their gifts have been acknowledged by the church. They've been sent out to be missionaries. They've decided they're going to go to Asia. And on their way, they are prevented somehow, we're not told how, they are forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God there. And so we, we can assume, I think safely, uh, they have a little powwow conversation. They pray. And they say, you know what? We are going to set course for Bithynia. And so they start to go towards Bithynia, but then we, we read, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I mean, maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate. Uh, you have had grand plans. And then, for one reason or another, they didn't work out. The trip didn't go the way that you had hoped. You, you didn't get the job that you had wanted. felt like you were doing everything right, and then things went sideways. Not working out the way you had imagined. Thinking to yourself, God, what are you doing here? No matter what I do, I seem stuck in the same place. I'm trying to be faithful. What is, what is going on? Well, then you can, you can relate if you felt that way to what Paul and, and the others were probably feeling here. And at that point, our scripture reading becomes very important. Proverbs 16.9, A person's heart plans his ways, but the Lord determines his steps. See, God's will of decree ultimately determines the direction of Paul and those who are traveling with him. They know his will of desire that they would preach the gospel to the nations, and so they make a decision and they go a direction, and they go in that direction until God forces them into another. God will get you where he wants you to go. God directs the steps of man. Directs your steps. Friends, what we have here in these first few verses is a good model to follow. We don't need to, to wring our hands and wait on skywriting to make a decision about how to live our lives. God has given us His Word. And so we are free to obey His Word and move in a direction that is faithful. And we can trust Him to reroute us if we get off course. And even if we get off course in the scheme of His sovereignty, He knew we were going to get off course and He ordained it. We can't escape God's sovereignty. It's like David says in the psalm, where can I go to hide from you? You're everywhere. And the days of my life were written in your book before I was born. His sovereignty doesn't eliminate our responsibility to make decisions and to obey His Word and to be wise 
but it is a comforting pillow to lay our heads on at night. Going, God, I'm seeking to follow you, and I trust you. I trust you to direct my steps. And so I want to encourage you when it comes to those decisions in your life and you're asking, what is God's will of direction for me? To remember His will of decree, that big picture plan. To consider the words of Scripture, the will of desire, how you ought to live. And then be free to make a decision while utilizing those Spirit-empowered resources. Study the Word. Pray. And gather wisdom and counsel from those other Christians that you're committed to. From the church. Look with me at verse 8. In Acts 16, I should clarify. (laughs) So passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, having concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What I think is really significant here is that Paul doesn't just wake up and say, Hey guys, we have been prevented from going here and from going there. Last night I drank some chocolate milk, and chocolate milk we all know produces prophetic dreams. And so I had this prophetic dream, and we're supposed to go on down to Macedonia. Let's roll. Not what he does. You go, what do you mean? Well, look in verse 10 towards the end, concluding, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What does that mean? It means that a conversation took place. It means that Paul woke up, went to those who were with him, and said, hey, I had this dream. I think maybe we should go to Macedonia. What do you think? Do you think this is what, what God thinks? Is it, is it consistent with his big picture will? Is this consistent with his will of desire in his word? Does this seem like a wise decision? And they all said, yup. And they went together to Macedonia where Lydia's heart is opened by the Lord. It's a wonderful story. Now, we may not have prophetic visions. Or maybe you do get them when you drink chocolate milk. I don't know. We may not have them, but we have the same resources that Paul had. We have the Holy Spirit who will illumine for us the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit who will take our prayers to God. Through Christ our Lord. We are filled with the Holy Spirit who fills God's church, who we can trust and rely upon to help us navigate those decisions that we come to in life. I'm not talking about if you're at the ice cream shop deciding between Rocky Road and, you know, what, mint. Go with the mint chocolate chip every time. Thus saith the Lord. I'm talking about if you come to a significant decision, I think it would be unwise of you to go, you know what, I'm thinking about um, moving here. Or I'm thinking about going to church here. 
or I'm thinking about taking this job, I think it would be unwise of you to not consult both with the leaders of your church, they're supposed to be helpful to you, and those other Christians within that church who you are connected with. It is unwise to make big decisions in solitude as if you are not part of the body of Christ. God has given us a wonderful treasure, a wonderful resource in the church, and we ought to take advantage of it. Be foolish not to. Proverbs 5.12 A fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. 15.22 Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. 19.20 Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end you will be wise. The best decisions and the best reflecting on what God might have for you doesn't typically happen in solitude, but in community. And that's because we are so good at lying to ourselves and we are so bad at seeing things about ourselves which are obvious to other people. Others are there to help you walk faithfully with Christ. Take advantage of it. Seek godly counsel so that you might walk wisely. Friends, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand His will of decree, His plan to reconcile all things and bring them into submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Know and understand His will of desire that we are to honor Him with our lives. And happily trust Him as you make wise decisions about what direction you should walk in in your life. Walk wisely, just as Jesus did, entrusting Himself to God the Father. Learn to pray that prayer that He prayed. Not my will be done ultimately, but your will. It always strikes me how upside down the cross must have seemed to His disciples. He was supposed to be the Messiah. He was supposed to deliver them. He was supposed to defeat Rome. And yet, there he was, hanging, bloodied, dying the death of a criminal. Some Messiah. And yet, even though they couldn't see it, even though they couldn't understand it, God's will was being worked out. His will to bring into his family every fool who would repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ, who didn't stay dead, but was risen from the dead. What a beautiful twist that no one saw coming. God is God. He is wise. And so you can trust Him and walk wisely in your life. You can trust His providence. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your kindness to us. We thank You for Your grace and Your Spirit. We, we don't deserve to call You Father. None of us do. But You have given the gift of faith and life. We thank You for it.
there are any among us who don't know you, my prayer now is that they would feel themselves believing, trusting in you, and that they would make themselves known. Lord, we we get ready to come to the table together and to proclaim your death, your resurrection, and your return. Come to drink of the blood of the Lamb, to eat of his body broken for us. And so, Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We pray that he would be honored in our lives and that we would walk wisely. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.